Okay, uh, reading from uh, Genesis 1 here, and it's amazing how often um, I go back to Genesis 1 as such a foundational text, and, and just has so much to say in, in these verses here. And this is um, starting with verse 26. Um, then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And I don't know if you ever spent any time there with that, especially this is the NRSV transla translation, let us... <laughs> That'll mess with you a little bit. <laughs> Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And then moving over to verse 27. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, God created them. In male and female, God created them. And the people I read said, there's really not a theological, we might have a cultural discussion, but not a theological discussion <laughs> that the image of God is male and female. And that's kind of the mystery that we dwell in. And I think all of us can say that uh, we are healthier when we can embrace uh, the masculine parts of our personality and our character, as well as the, the feminine part of our character and our traits there. And just embrace both there and have that, have that harmony. And as we take some time just to pray and to reflect on these verses, um, uh, ask yourself the question of who has revealed that feminine face of God to you? Who has revealed that, that feminine grace of God to you or that feminine face of God to you? Let's take a, just a few moments to pray and to reflect on that. Let us pray. Okay, well, I call this meditation just to the divine feminine and, and just to read this verse again. Then God said, <clears throat> let us make humankind in our image according to our, our likeness. So God created humankind in God's image. And in the image of God, God created them male and female. God created them. And so, uh, <clears throat> and thinking about this and just kind of going down that, that memory lane, uh, my mom and dad, they walked me around, uh, around the outside of Harriet Thompson Elementary School, which was in Grandview, Washington, uh, several days before my inaugural day of first grade. And times were different back then. And the school was a long red brick and mortar building uh, shaped like an L. And I think the short part of the L was where the fourth and the fifth grade were. And there was a vast playground that spilled over to the, to the middle school campus. And my mom and dad assured me to no avail that the big kids, those middle school kids, would not venture into our space. And I was equally excited and terrified for that very first day of school. And when the day arrived, my mom walked me to the front doors. She hugged me and gave me a kiss on the cheek. And she told me she loved me. <clears throat> and then she gently nudged me. <laughs> towards the doors. And I can just remember distinctly holding back my tears. But looking back on this, I'm pretty sure my mom did not when she walked back to our old Ford Fairlane car there. And once inside the brick walls, a cheerful lady took my hand and she said, what is your name and what grade are you going to be in? And I said, I'm Quag. <laughs> I'm Quag, and I'm in the fourth grade. 
And she checked her clipboard. I don't know why, I just love thinking about checking into school with a clipboard. <laughs> she had a clipboard and said, well, you're going to be in Miss Bird's class. And this is her first year. Follow me. And my shoulders just kind of fell together. And I wrapped my arms around my chest as this cheerful lady walked me down the never-ending hall. If I went back there today, it might have been from here to our front door. <laughs> but it was a long way down that hall. <laughs> and people were moving and kids were moving in every direction. And we stopped in front of the very last room on the right. And this cheerful lady said, Miss Bird, this is Craig. And I looked up and up and up. Miss Bird was the tallest woman I had ever seen. And she had this long, beautiful hair, and she, she had the biggest smile in the world, and she looked down at me, and Miss Bird got down on her knees, and she gave me a mama hug. A mama hug. And she said, it is such a pleasure to meet you, Craig, and we're going to have a great, great year. And Miss Bird took me into her room, and she showed me the windows, which opened up to these magnificent green trees. And she had a small library in the back of her room with colorful books. And she told me there were more books than I could count in the school library. And I said, my grandma is a librarian. And I said, and she reads me books and my sister. And she said, well, your grandma sounds like a very special lady. And I can remember this distinctly because my mom, knowing how important reading was to my grandmother, her mom, uh, every time we would go visit my grandma, uh, my mom would always say, Mom, you never read us books when we were children. And that would get her so mad. She was, I did too, Susie. <laughs> it was just an ongoing joke that grandma didn't read my mom books when she was a little girl. <clears throat> and for the first few weeks, mom would drive me to school, give me a hug and tell me she loved me. But what changed is I would run inside that building to Miss Bird who would wrap her arms around me and welcome me. And once a week, each student, we got to sit in the rocking chair with our new young grandma, who was probably 22, 23 years old. <laughs> and we would read a book with Miss Bird. And she delighted in us, and we delighted in her. And Father Richard Rohr says, most people, though, though not all, first experienced unconditional love, not through the image of a man, but through the image of a woman. We had a loving teacher, and I think about our elementary school, every teacher over there is female. The principal is a female, and we have a male counselor, and that's it. They're all female, and they are nurturing our children. We had a kind neighbor, a tender grandma, or an aunt, or an enduring mother. And Roar says, these women became the basis for many people's real and operative God. We learned about that inner life through many of these women. And I remember once a year, our family would drive back to Kansas to visit relatives. And I always stayed at my Aunt Marita's house and my Uncle Bob's farmhouse. My cousin and I, we, we spent the days fishing for catfish in the creek and swimming at the Osborne Pool and playing tag until the stars came out at night. It was just that magical time. However, my favorite part of these trips 
was in, when everyone would go to sleep at night, except for the cicadas and the crickets singing under the canopies of trees. And I would always walk down, it was a little farmhouse, I'd walk down these steep cellar, uh, cellar steps. And my Aunt Rita would always get me cold Pepsi. And I was always fascinated. She didn't even have to refrigerate. It was so cool down there. And I would get a Pepsi and I'd bring it back up to the kitchen table. And I'd sit down with my Aunt Rita. And we would talk long into the night. And I should say, I talked. <laughs> and Aunt Rita just asked me one question after another. And I just felt so privileged, so special and sacred. And I learned from her and, and knew that she would hold my stories in a special place in her heart. And from her, I learned what it felt like to be truly listened to. And it was just so holy and sacred. And last year, I remember while I was driving through Kansas, again, I stopped to see Aunt Marita, who is 85 now. And she's living in town, a little town, about 200 people where my dad grew up. And the two of us ate supper at 10 o'clock at night. I always loved that because in the harvest season, you always fed everybody when they got in from the fields. And we ate at 10 o'clock at night. That's just the pattern. <laughs> and I've always loved that. And after we cleaned up the kitchen, I asked, do you have a cold pop, Aunt Marita? Do you have a cold pop? And she said, well, I don't have a cellar now, but the pop is out in the garage in the fridge. She said, you never know who's going to come by. And we talked late into the night, just like the days of old. And I remember it got to be about one or two in the morning. And I was kind of embarrassed. And here Aunt Rita's 85 years old. I go, Aunt Rita, I got to go to bed. <laughs> but that love does endure. And I first learned, and maybe many of you as well, I first learned about unconditional love and grace from so many strong and tender women. And they were the hands and feet of Christ to me. And I am forever grateful to them. And in Genesis, this passage that we read, God creates male and female from God's image. And we have to find and trust images that present both a healthy feminine face for God and a healthy masculine face for God. Right, Because we need one gender is not superior to the other but they both mutually support one another. And we need both of them. And until we conceive of God in such a way that within God, masculinity and femininity can be seen as mutually and perfectly empowering. And until we can do that, then masculinity and femininity in this world will not find a mutual harmony or happiness either, writes Roar. And they have that perfect balance that we see with God. And you can see that in Jesus and how he lived his life as well. And so today, may we just take some time to think, who are the people in our lives who have manifested the love, and the joy, the peace, and the grace of God? And who has revealed the feminine face of God to us? And so this Mother's Day, let us celebrate and lift up the, the mother figures in our lives who often reveal to us the intimacy and the mystery and the grace of God. Amen.